You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. I want to start just right out of the gate and ask you a question. Do you ever feel burned out? You ever feel burned out? And if you're feeling pretty good right now, do you have any friends or someone that you know that seems to be burned out? You know, I saw this study by Dr. Alice Domar, and she talks about the five signs that you're burned out. I want to show them to you real quickly. Have you lost your excitement about work? You just have no passion or excitement about your work anymore. Number two, have you stopped putting in effort? You know, you're just kind of doing the minimum. You're not really going above and beyond at all or putting much effort in. Number three, has your work performance suffered, struggled there? Number four, are you exhausted or just tired all the time? Are you suffering from any type of physical ailments as it relates to your work? Let me show you a few uh, examples of that. Maybe insomnia, you're not sleeping well, or chest pain, or you get headaches a lot. You have more illnesses like like things like gastrointestinal problems, maybe shortness of breath. Well, last year, I told you guys about like my own burnout. My wife and I were trying to finish out the house of my son's house on the south side, and we were painting and doing something like that. And I found myself sitting in a chair, staring at a wall, emotionally paralyzed, unable to get up and do anything anymore. And I went to my therapist and he explained to me, Doug, you're burned out, man. You need to slow down. I thank God for our City Tribe staff. They helped me to rearrange some of my responsibilities and they stepped in and helped a lot. But part of the reason we're in this peace practices series isn't just for you, it's for me because I'm trying to keep it healthy and keep myself in a good place emotionally and spiritually as well. And if there's anyone in the Bible, any of the Bible characters that needed the peace practices we're talking about, it is the prophet, ancient prophet Elijah. Now, in case you don't know about Elijah or know his story, he was a guy that had this confrontation with these prophets of the false god Baal. And he showed God's power above the power of Baal, the false god there. Elijah was a guy that worked really hard and he'd seen great victories in his life. And because he'd shown the God of Israel to be more powerful than Baal, the reigning queen at the time hated Elijah. And her name was Jezebel. And in case you don't know about Jezebel, she ruled as if she's like a love child between Vladimir Putin and Kim Kardashian. I mean, this is Jezebel, and this is her way of leading. So she was a pretty petty person, and she had her henchmen or her bouncers or, you know, army guys hunt down Elijah. They were trying to kill him. And so he's burned out on the run. He needed to hear from God. He needed some peace and rest in his life. And let me show you what happened in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, a very popular portion of scripture where Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. Look at the next part. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake either. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
Let me stop there for a minute. We'll look at the rest, the last sentence here in a minute. If you look throughout the Bible, there are times where God is in the fire. You go to the New Testament book of Acts, and there were these tongues of fire when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And there are times where God is in an earthquake because the room shook the upper room in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And there are times where God is in the wind. There was a mighty rushing wind at Pentecost in the New Testament when Holy Spirit was being poured out. But it doesn't always happen that way. Look at the last sentence, how Elijah encountered God. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle, what? Whisper. It's like a whisper. God often moves us from burnout to peace in the silence when we can hear a whisper. And part of the reason that Elijah came to a deeper place of peace is because he slowed down, he stopped running, and he was willing to be quiet and listen for the Lord. And if you've been to our services for any length of time, you know that from time to time, we periodically like to slow it down and be silent and quiet for a moment. And we're going to do just that as we spend a moment of silence. And during this moment, we're going to pray a simple prayer between ourselves and God as we're quiet. And it's just simply this, Jesus, I welcome your gentle whisper. Jesus, I welcome your gentle whisper. And I understand that this may be awkward for some of you because it's the first time all week that you've had a time where there was no noise, no activity, or no earbud in your ear. But let's stop and be silent as we silently ask Jesus to bring us a gentle whisper. Jesus, we welcome your gentle whisper. And as we study through your word, we're looking for the ways that you want to speak directly to us. Thank you for your presence among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Well, as we continue studying today, I'm really just going to deposit into you and submit one simple transforming idea to you today. And I think it'll be powerful is that we can avoid burnout with silence space, and Sabbath. So you got to do the little hand motions with me, right? When I say silence, you do this, right? And then when I say space, you got to do this. And then when I say Sabbath, it's like rest, you do this, like it's nappy time, sleepy time. So you guys ready to do it with me? It makes me feel good when you play along, okay? Those of you online too. Ready? Here we go. We avoid burnout with silence, space, and Sabbath. 
That was pretty awesome. You guys did a good job. You feel better already. Let's do it one more time, and I think it'll make you feel even better. Here we go. Ready? We avoid burnout with silence, space, and Sabbath. Okay, we're going to have a much better day. Now, we've already looked at how God spoke to Elijah when he was willing to be silent. He brought the gentle whisper. But now let's look at space. We've got to make room to receive the presence of God. So when you look in a book, there's going to be a margin or a space on the side, isn't there? No books have the words that go all the way to the edge of the page, but we like those margins because the margins are easier on the eyes and it allows us to write in the margins. And then when we're on the road driving our cars, we notice there's a shoulder on the road. The shoulder is space for safety, isn't it? So if you have car trouble, you can pull over into that space called the shoulder of the road. The margin in business is that space between your costs of doing business and your profits. And so God gave us this concept of space or margin for our own peace. And when you see Elijah running for his life, we see how he was able to come to a place of of peace. Look at 1 Kings 19.4. But he himself went a day's journey into what? The wilderness, right? And he came and sat down under a broom tree. And you see all throughout the Bible, these Bible characters, when they needed to create space between themselves and their stressful burnout situations, they would go to this place called the wilderness. They would get away to the wilderness. Let me show you what Jesus did when his ministry was thriving and he was in big demand. We go to Luke chapter 5, verse 15. But despite uh, Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And the vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. And look at this next part. But Jesus often withdrew. He didn't just withdraw, but he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So this is Jesus' way of creating space between himself and the crowds. And in the same way, we've got to build into our lives this type of space. Now, those of you who are millennials, you're now known as the burnout generation. There's a book about this called Can Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. It's by Anne Helen Peterson. And she writes in her book, if, you, if you're truly burned out, there's no escape. It's what happens when you live without any, what? Margin for error. When you're always one accident or illness away from bankruptcy or eviction, living so close to ruin saps the joy from nearly everything because there's no security, no peace of mind. There's a whole generation of people that have been relegated to burnout because they've grown up in a system or an environment where we, where, where we work too hard. You know, we push ourselves too hard. And there's a lot of workplace stress. People are pretty hectic now. And then we have our time-saving devices like our phones. And people used to think that our phones were going to make us have a 30-hour work week and everything was going to, we'd have more time. But we exchanged time for money, didn't we? That's what we did. And we have these smartphones, but it's not helping. And there's a new disease known as overload syndrome. And the overload syndrome is mentioned in a book And the title of the book is Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves to Overloaded Lives. Dr. Richard 
Swenson. And overload, as he describes it in the book, is when our load exceeds our limits. It's when we spend 120% of what we have, whether it's our money, time, or our energy. Margin, on the other hand, is the opposite of overload. Now, what you have to understand is there are going to be times in our lives, I guess seasons, if you will, where we are going to be overloaded. There's a difference between short-term overload and long-term overload. So short-term overload we can do. I remember going to school and I was working on a seminary master's degree and I just knew that for those years, it was going to be a lot of going to class and a lot of going to work and a lot of studying when I wasn't at class or at work. I just knew that I wasn't going to have a lot of margin during that time and a lot of space, like tax time for accountants or flu season for physicians, or if you're in one of the trades and you're working on a building or a home, you have to grind it out for a time in order to get the project done. So I understand that short-term overload, but you cannot live a sustainable life if you're on long-term overload. We all have our limits and Part of what it's doing to us is it makes us in a hurry all the time because you want to be so efficient with your time, you're always in a hurry. McDonald's did not become a global restaurant juggernaut because it's good food and not even because it's cheap food, but McDonald's was successful because it's fast food, right? So that minivans could go through the drive-thru and families could eat in the van like God intended, you know? It's this craziness, isn't it? And I have to check this in myself because my wife tells me I'm a sentence finisher. You know what a sentence finisher is? It's like you're talking in a conversation. I'm like, and I finish people's thoughts, or I think, I, I think I'm finishing their thoughts most of the time. But it's my way of saying, we need to move this conversation along and you need to get this stuff out, right? Today, please tell me what's on your mind today. And it also comes out when I'm in traffic. And I can pull in one of two lanes at the stoplight. And I've got to decide. And I'm doing an evaluation there. And I'm looking at the age of the driver and the make and model of the car when I get to said intersection. And I get there. And I'm like, if there's an older woman or older man in some car that's like a Mercury or, you know, a Mercruiser is what I call them, then I'm not getting behind that Mercruiser. But if I see someone like in a Tesla or a sports car or something like that, that's my lane. Okay, I'm getting in that that lane. If it's a teenager, I know they're going to drive way too fast. I'm getting in their lane, though. Same happens at it. You go to HEB, and I'm looking at those lanes, and I'm counting up how much stuff's in that basket, and I'm calculating the amount of stuff in the basket with the competence of the checker, too. And so it's like, hey, not very many things in the basket, and we got ourselves a competent checker. You know the ones I'm talking about. They're fast. It's like that lady's like, a beep, beep, beep. I'll get you through here, beep. You know, that's the lane I'm going to pick. And then when I get through the lane, I tell the checker, I'm like, you were the fast, you're the fastest one in the whole group. I watch everybody, and they puff up their chest because they're the fastest, fastest, see. But this is where I'm in too big of a hurry. But if I want to, you want to avoid burnout, remember what we do. Here's our little time to do the hand motion. You ready? Okay. You avoid burnout with silence, space, Sabbath. You're doing good today. You're starting to feel better, I can tell. So we've already looked at 
silence and space. And now let's look at Sabbath, the day of rest. Now, remember Elijah. He was so stressed out and burned out that he wanted to die. Look at 1 Kings 19.5. He asked, he's talking to God. He asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. But he went from suicidal to being at peace. Look what he did next. Here's what he did next. He laid down and slept under a broom tree. It's a pretty good plan. He took a nap. (laughs) And behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. So he's like, the angel's like, dude, get up and eat some tacos. And he ate and he drank. And look what he did again. And laid down again. Two times in one verse, Elijah takes a nap. And he went from overload to peace. And maybe the best thing that some of us can do is learn to take a nap. But here's the thing, is that we tend to wear these seven-day work weeks as badges of honor. And you know what people do? Just watch them. They'll talk about their schedule and how much they got going on. And it's because we think that a heavier schedule makes us more significant, don't we? And so we're getting our significance from our calendar. The breaking of the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that people brag about breaking. Isn't it the truth? It's the way we operate in America is we break the commandment of the Sabbath. Now, you got to remember that there were a group of Jesus contemporaries that they were the controlling religious types. They're called Pharisees, and they love to control everyone's life and create all these nitpicky rules for people about how you're supposed to practice the Sabbath. And they were so controlling that it was like, hey, if people are going to take a Sabbath day of rest, then we need to tell them what constitutes work and what constitutes rest. See, so this is the environment that Jesus was in when he was teaching. And I had this punctuated for me when Jeannie and I were on a trip to Jerusalem one time, and we were going back to our hotel room after a long day of touring through the Holy Land and teaching and this type of thing. And we get into this elevator, and I didn't realize it, but um, this elevator wasn't going to respond to me pushing buttons in it. And we get in, the door closes, and it stops at every single floor. I couldn't just push my button and go all the way up to my floor. It stopped me at every single floor. And Jeannie and I were f- so frustrated by it. And then we, it dawned on us, someone explained to us, well, that's the Sabbath elevator. See, because it was the Sabbath day, and according to their way of thinking, it's too much work to push a button in the elevator on the Sabbath day. And I thought, dude, pushing a button for me, that is a day off, right? That's me sitting in my TV, pushing my remote control. This football game, that football game, okay? It's just, that's rest, for me, but this is the environment in which Jesus is ministering. And one day, he and his disciples were going through this grain field, and they were really hungry, and they stopped, and they grabbed some heads of grain from these wheat plants, and they were eating them. And the Pharisees, these people that were the kind of Sabbath police, they're like, aha, we caught you harvesting grain on the Sabbath day. You'd think they had a combine out there, you know, harvesting the whole thing, but they're just picking a few heads of grain, you know, eating their version of a granola bar. And Jesus says, hey, look, you guys haven't studied the scriptures because if you had, you would know that in the Old Testament, David and his men actually ate the special religious bread in the temple when they were dying of hunger. David did it. So my guys are cleared. We can do it. 
we can break your version of the Sabbath day. Now, look at what Jesus said next in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And just to punctuate his point, Jesus said, hey, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. And then he healed a guy who had a messed up hand on the Sabbath day. And then the Pharisees got really worked up because Jesus actually healed a guy. That's working on the Sabbath day. So they had a problem in their system of interpretation. And I want to show it to you. What, do they, what can they do when two of their interpretations of Torah Old Testament law contradict? Let me give you an example. You're saying, what are you even talking about? Okay, it's like this. They had a rule that baby boys had to be circumcised on the eighth day after they were born. Make sense? So you have to circumcise the baby boy on the eighth day. That's why the baby boys cried, okay? But then there was another rule that you have to obey the Sabbath. You can't, if you're cutting something, you can't do the circumcision and work on the Sabbath day. So what if the eighth day is on the Sabbath day? Then you've got two rules that are contradicting. And here's where Jesus interpreted the law. He always went with the interpretation that leads to the preservation of life. The preservation of life. Whatever saves a life or preserves a life is the direction that Jesus would go. And here's why I tell you that. It's because unless you're in the healthcare profession, you've got to take your days off. And I know that every day you could save a life, but you've got to rest and rejuvenate so that you can go back and save lives the other six days of the week. But for most of the rest of us who are not healthcare professionals, if we see someone struggling and about to die, we can break our Sabbath and go over there and save their lives. But can I tell you, here's what's happening with most people in America is that some of you are working seven days a week for money and it's killing you. And I want to suggest that you stop doing that because it's taking your life. Dr. Richard Stevens, cancer researcher at University of uh, Connecticut, he found the link between sleep deprivation, increased risk of cancer. And look, I could cite study after study, but you already know that sleep deprivation and a lack of rest and too much stress and overload can kill you. Heart disease, uh, hypertension, all sorts of problems. And so what does this idea of Sabbath mean for you and I today? to take a day of rest. Because for me, I'm a pastor and I work on Sundays, which is a lot of people's day off, you know? So how do I apply the Sabbath? So I had to go to another pastor, author named Pete Scazzaro that was helpful for me. And here's what he said. For me, this means stopping from Friday night at 7 p.m. to Saturday night at 7 p.m. He says, I avoid computer emails, church-related work. And so I say, Create a Sabbath that works best for you. Some people ask, am I supposed to do it on Saturday? Am I supposed to do it on Sunday? Well, Jesus said he made the Sabbath for you, not you for the Sabbath. And so you pick a day where you can take a full 24 hours off and get some rest. You know, there's this author and pastor, uh, Albert Tate, and he says, naps are the new hustle. He says, if your phone needs to be recharged every night, how much more do you need to be recharged and here's what I would add to that. The older your phone is, the more you have to charge it, right? <laughs> and so the older I get, the more naps I need to take, right? 
because I'm getting to be that older version of the phone. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you're about to trade me in, meanies. So, but then there's this business author and coach named Daniel Pink, and he's big-time business coach and leader, and he says for people to take the perfect nap, and he calls it a nappuccino. Okay, let me show you the five steps to taking a nappuccino. Number one is you find your afternoon low point. It's typically in the afternoon, maybe around two o'clock or something, depending. Then number two, you create a peaceful environment. Turn off your phone and close the door. Maybe you turn out the light, lay down on your couch or whatever like that. Now, don't forget to turn off your phone. The other day I was trying to take a nappuccino and I forgot to turn off my phone notifications and it got a spam call and I'm like, son of a chupacabra. You've just you know, got me in the middle of my supposed nap. It's just the worst thing. But then number three, this is the funnest part. Before you go to sleep, down a cup of coffee. Okay, this is what he says. That caffeine takes about 25 minutes to engage your bloodstream. And so what you do is step four, you set a timer for 25 minutes. So the naps between 10 and 20 minutes measurably boost your alertness and mental function without leaving you sleepier than before. So when you wake up, the caffeine and the nap is hitting, at the, they're both hitting at the same time. So it gives you a double energy of the nappuccino. That's the power of it. And then number five is repeat it constantly. According to Daniel Pink, the evidence suggests that habitual nappers get more from their naps than infrequent nappers. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking the same thing that I would be thinking at different times in my life is that, dude, I don't have the option of taking a nap someday. You know what I mean? There have been seasons of my life when I was going through school. It's like, you know, or I had certain jobs. There's no, there's no nap. You know, they don't let you do that at a lot of jobs or a lot of circumstances in life. Maybe you're a single parent and you're like, hey, even if I had time for a nap, I've got to work. I've got these kids and my kids just destroy naps. I mean, I try and lay down for a nap and they just pound me. You know, they just jump on me. I understand. That's why we have to get creative in the ways that we carve out little spaces of rest throughout our day. One of the things that I used to do was uh, I worked for a corporation and they didn't allow nappy time. Well, on my lunch hour, I would go out quickly and eat. I would go out to the parking garage where my car was and I would get a little time alone in my car just to rest, to get some peace and alone time. Um, For some of you, you can come to church and bring your kids to Kids City while you come in here and get a little time to worship God and relax. That gives you a little space, a little margin in your life. Now, if you're a person who does have more space and margin and freedom in your schedule, and you want to serve others who do not have the space and margin that you do, Pastor Lee's having a compassion team meeting Today, after the last service, I think it's somewhere around 2.15, 2.30 right in here, and he'll lead you to be able to help others who don't have the kind of space and margin, perhaps, that, that you have. And I would add this. If you're a manager or own your own business, you have employees that report to you, I want to suggest you do everything within your power to give people as much space, margin, in their lives as you possibly can. I understand that you've got to do business and you got to, you're not there for playtime, right? You're there to make money and make a living for yourself and for others. But as much as you possibly can, create a management environment where people have some space in their lives. Right now, 
we're in the midst of what's called the great resignation. You've no doubt heard about it. And the great resignation is not just baby boomers retiring, but it's younger generations saying, we're no longer going to live in this kind of burnout and we are going to have work-life balance. Has anybody besides me gone to a restaurant or any type of business where there's help wanted signs up and they're understaffed? All of us have. We know it's happening right now. And the managers and leaders in the future that win the day will be the ones that help emerging generations to have a healthy work-life balance. So I'll just throw that out there for you to consider. But I was thinking about a few years ago, I used to do some ministry in Brazil, and that required me to take several trips down there a year. And I remember being around the Brazilian people, and I would see people taking off work at about noon every day. And it would last till about two o'clock, and people were going home, spending time with their families, and taking a siesta. Now, growing up in America, I'd heard about siestas. But I got to be honest that I just thought, hey, you know, these poor, uninformed people. And I just thought everybody knows that to make a living, you have to grind it out, work 12 hours a day, you know. And I just thought you poor, misinformed, misinformed people, you don't know really how you're supposed to work, you know. But then as I spent more time around my Brazilian brothers and sisters, I realized they had something that I didn't have. They had peace. And maybe it was a little bit of my American arrogance that I didn't understand the path to peace that they had already found. They were rested. They were richer in their relationships. And their point was punctuated in my life when I was taking a trip to Eastern Europe in Moldova. And I was on my way back here to the United States. And I was scheduled to teach here at the church the same morning that I got back. So I flew across the pond, made it through all the airport rigmarole. And I got here to San Antonio and I was rushing over here to church to teach the services. And first service, I did pretty good. Second service, my speech started to slur. And I felt like a drunk person teaching that day because of sleep deprivation. And I should have known better than that because I had seen this study out of the University of Pennsylvania some years prior that people who have been awake for 19 hours scored worse on performance tests than people who were rested up and drunk. I gave one of the worst talks I've ever given that day. I'm sure people in the, in the seats were thinking, man, is the pastor on acid? What's going on, man? I mean, these guys, uh, he's really chill. He's about to fall asleep on stage. Um, I needed to learn something from my Brazilian brothers and sisters, the power of the nap and the siesta. And so remember how we avoid burnout? Here's, this is the time we do our little thing. This is your cue, right? We avoid burnout with silence, space, Sabbath. That's how we do it. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road for some of you. Because we're all bombarded with so many messages all week that you won't remember this message. But one of the best things that some of you could do is you could get on your phone while I'm talking right now, and you could set an alarm on the day that you've picked to be your Sabbath day. Set yourself an alarm or put it in your phone calendar so it pops up and reminds you to rest. Because we all know that one of these days is none of these days unless you pick a day. And your commitment to put your Sabbath into your phone may be the difference between burnout and peace for your future. And with some people like Elijah, he wanted to die. With some people, it could be the difference between life and death. 
So we need to get our rest. And Jesus, when he was teaching, he wasn't just talking about physical rest, but he was going a layer deeper to soul rest. Remember, the Pharisees loved to control everyone's viewpoint of Sabbath. And if you were going to follow a particular rabbi in Jesus' day, you would take on that rabbi's yoke. It's not like an egg yoke, but the yoke showed on screen was a device that was put on the backs of a beast of burden. And so there might be two donkeys or two oxen that would put this yoke on and they would pull a cart or they would do some type of work and they would typically be two of the same type of animal or two of the animals that were of the same strength that would go in unison together. And so when you were going to take on a rabbi's yoke, it didn't mean you were going to be like a farm animal. It just meant you were going to take on the rabbi's interpretation of Old Testament Torah law. You were going to try and live out what that teacher says is the right way to live according to the Old Testament Torah. And most of the people were spiritually burned out because they couldn't remember all the rules, let alone apply all of them to their lives. And this is where Jesus comes in in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Look at it with me. I'll read it slowly. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you what? Rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus is not just saying this to people who are physically tired. Certainly they were that, but they were spiritually tired because of the yokes they were carrying And Jesus was also not saying that life is always going to be easy because there are other parts of the New Testament where Jesus says, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. And even in the midst of hard times, I can give you some peace that will get you through that time. But here's what's happening for some of you today is that God is calling you to take off an old yoke. Because if you're going to take on a new yoke and you've already got on a yoke, you have to take the old one off to wear the new, don't you? And some of you have been wearing a religious yoke upon yourself. And here's the thinking of that yoke. You thought in your head, hey, I'm coming to church. And the reason I'm coming to church is because I can check off the box of church attendance. And if I attend enough church services, then I can get over the hump and earn a relationship with God. He'll think I'm good enough because I kept coming to church. Nope, that's not the way it works. You don't get into love relationship with God through checking off the box of church attendance. Others of you think something like this. I have to count a certain number of rosary beads, and then I have to go to confession with the priest and confess all my sins to get get God to forgive me so that I can have love relationship with God. It's good to confess, isn't it? However, you can't count enough beads or confess enough sins in order to earn a relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. And others of you are thinking, you know what? This past week, I did not live up to my own standards, let alone God's standards. And so if I were to die today, I would probably go to hell because I didn't do enough good things to earn my way into love relationship with God this week. And here's the way some of you think. It's kind of like that little girl that's pulling flower petals off. And she says, he loves me. 
he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And you think, I wasn't good enough, so he, does, he loves me not. I was good enough this week, he loves me. But here's what I want you to understand from the Bible. John 3, 16 is one of the clearest passages we have about eternal life and have a relationship with God. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God so that no one can brag about all the awesome stuff they did. See, it's a gift from God that he gives to us. And look, what I want you to understand is no matter your track record this past week, Jesus says, you're in my hand. And he says, I'm in the father's hands and no one can snatch you out of my hands. If you have believed, that's good news. Is it right on here, buddy? Check this out. If you've believed that Jesus Christ took the yoke of your sin upon himself when he died on the cross, you can say with the apostle Paul, I know who I believe it. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. It's not on you. You can be secure. And if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, there's only one petal on the flower. And you know what it is? He loves me. That's pretty freaking awesome, isn't it? Check this out. It's like St. Augustine said it. I love St. Augustine. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. So let's bow for prayer. And here's why we're praying, because someone was brought here onto this stream or into this room for the very purpose of receiving the grace of God into your life and joining with God in a love relationship that you've never had before in your life. You're going to have to take off the old yoke and put on the new by just talking to God, telling him what's on your heart and pray something like this that many people have prayed over the years to receive him. Just say, look, God, I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up. But God, right now, the best I know how, I'm making a choice right now in this moment to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. He was my substitute. God, I choose to believe that he rose again from the dead to give me new life. Welcome into my life. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps there are others. You didn't have such a great week as far as your track record. And the thing keeps coming to your mind that he loves me not. If that's you, would you just pick up at me real quick? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, several of us. Yeah. Yeah, folks all over the room. Can I give you some encouragement right now? That thing you did that makes you feel guilt right now. Can I ask you, is it more powerful than the cross? Which one of your sins is more powerful than the cross? You know the answer already, don't you? There's no sin that any of us have committed that's more powerful than the cross. There's only one petal on your flower, and it's simply this. He loves me. He loves you. So, God, I thank you for the wondrous grace that came as a result of what you did for us, Jesus on the cross. And for that, we give you glory and honor that's due. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys. And you know, as we wrap up today, 
if you'd need someone to talk to you or just listen to you, our prayer leaders will be out here and they love to just listen and then pray. Also, there's the Tribe Connect tent right outside in case you want to get more involved here and connected here at City Tribe Church. Now, um, next Sunday, I want you to make sure and come. You know, how when I'm teaching, you know, it's like, whatever, you know, it's Pastor Doug. But next week is re- going to be really awesome because we're going to learn the way of peace through servant leadership. And one of my advisors, Dr. Lorena Garza-Gonzalez, she's really good. And some of you have heard her before. She's fantastic. And she's going to teach us on the ways of Jesus and servant leadership. You know, how many of you tired of managers and leaders that don't care about the people they lead and want to, you know, have everybody serve them rather than teaching us the freedom in serving others and through our leadership. So make sure you come on back for that. It's going to be fantastic. Also, as we think about our worship through our generosity and financial stewardship or sowing into the things of God, we always talk about putting God first as our motivation there. We're not giving tithes and stuff to earn God's love, but we tithe or we give our offerings out of the overflow of gratitude to God. So I don't tithe because I have to. I tithe because I get to, because God's been so nice to me. The Bible says this kindness leads us to repentance. And so we give out of the overflow. Have you ever been to churches where they said, oh, if you don't give money to my ministry, you're going to go to hell or something like that? Well, that's coercion and manipulation. That's not overflow kind of stewardship. We say because God is first and he's been so kind to bless us that we want to out of the overflow of our hearts, steward our resources to see more awesome Jesus-y stuff happen in our church, in our city, and around the world. So in case you're new at City Tribe, we don't pass buckets or plates, but here's the way it goes down. There are one of four ways that you can bring your tithes and offerings. You can mail them into the P.O. box that you see on screen. You can text to tithe following those instructions, or you can go to our website, citytribe.church slash tithe. Take care of it there. Or the giving stations near the exits of the theater. So before you guys worship through sewing, let's stand up together. And if you're with your crew, you know, and everybody's cool with you holding their hand or putting an arm on them, do that. Um, put a hand on a shoulder. If, if you don't want anybody touching you, you know, just give them this, you know, and say, and, and by the way, don't be creepy guy, you know, that like sits next to a hot chick and starts moving in, you know, during the benediction. That's not what we do. It's not about that. But dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from this place, May you walk from this place, not in burnout or overload, but in the new yoke of Jesus, knowing that we can avoid burnout with silence, space, and Sabbath. Walk from here and experience his peace as you leave here and go home and take a rowdy nappuccino. So we see you guys next Sunday. Peace, man. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.